everybody. Welcome back to the Booming Basketball Podcast. Uh, feels kind of weird to say that. First episode back in quite some time. It has been a few months, admittedly. I have uh, had some things going on in my life that required more attention than basketball, uh, unfortunately. But we're going to keep it all basketball here today. That's what we're doing, talking about basketball. Uh, I'm back, though, like Michael Jordan in 1995 and 2001, except I am not a crippling gambling addict, so that's something I have going for me that Michael Jordan didn't, so I I guess I'm better than Michael Jordan, uh, if if you want to use that logic. But today I thought, who else better to start it off again with none other than the New York Knicks? Uh, If you don't know, I am a New York Knicks fan. Uh, I'm not a biased fan, though, I don't think very much, so I like to keep it real, and uh, that's what we're doing today, is picking apart a team that I think could be on the verge of falling off a cliff. Unfortunately, I don't want to say that, but uh, looking at what just happened the other night with Mitchell Robinson, it's uh, very hard to ignore, especially if you saw my post about him the other day. Uh, you definitely would have seen something about that. But for those of you that didn't, Mitchell Robinson is out for at least three weeks after getting surgery. Uh, he fractured his thumb in a contest against the Wizards on Wednesday after uh, a little scrap up, I guess I think it was. I don't know who was involved. I couldn't remember seeing it exactly. I was actually at that game, but uh, I don't remember the exact play he was hurt on. Regardless of what play it happened on, though, it just adds another injury to uh, Mitchell Robinson's pretty egregious injury history so far uh, in his young NBA career, only five seasons, and he's had quite a few injuries to his name, multiple breaks in different parts of the body. He broke his hand before he's broken his foot, and it's really just been unfortunate, and I don't think everyone would look at his stats and be blown out of the water, but his impact on the court for the Knicks is uh, very understated, and I think he's become one of the more underrated players in the league. And for that center tier right outside that top, top tier, the Joel Embiid's, the Carl Anthony Towns, I, I mean, I know some of you probably won't put Carl Towns in there. I will because I think he's just in a bad situation. But the Carl Towns, the Joel Embiid's, Nikola Jokic is almost forgot Jokic. You have Sabonis and those guys. And I think outside that tier, you got guys like Robert Williams, then Mitchell Robinson. I'm not trying to dick ride Mitchell Robinson right now, but I think he's a very, very underrated player. And if you've watched a Knicks game without him or when he's on the bench, it gets really, really ugly. Uh, My post, again, I showed the stat differential. Mitchell Robinson is top three in almost every stat category for the Knicks. Um, when it comes to winning net, net rating, uh, point differential, plus minus win shares, he's one of the tops on the teams, and Isaiah Hartenstein is near the bottom on almost every single one of those stats. So it's it's really interesting because even though Mitchell Robinson isn't the Knicks' best starter, the drop off from starter to bench uh, player is probably the biggest between Mitch and his backup. Could argue maybe Randall and Obi Toppin, but I don't think Obi Toppin gets utilized enough in the right way. Hardenstein becomes a legitimate liability on the court because he gets out-rebounded and he's slow, and for whatever reason, he forgot how to play defense this year. Last year, he was a very solid defender, averaging over a block a game at least and being a paint presence in only 17 minutes a game. This year, he's averaging almost 8 or a little over 18 and getting 0.4 less blocks, so I'm not really sure what's happened there. Especially when he's playing under a coach like Tom Thibodeau, and this Knicks team has been good defensively, so I really don't understand what the problem is. Right now with Hartenstein, maybe it's a confidence thing, but I watched him a lot with the Clippers last year, and I was very high on him. I was more than excited for the Knicks to bring him in, and uh, unfortunately, that has not worked out the best for either side. Isaiah Hartenstein has probably decreased his value a little bit. With the Knicks, it's been 
still struggling to find that backup uh, centerpiece, or not centerpiece, but a center, a piece that is a center. It, it's been hard for the Knicks, and Tom Thibodeau has not shown a willingness to play Jericho Sims big minutes, and I've seen lots of Knicks fans advocate for that on Twitter. Even though I'm a fan of his potential and his athleticism, I'm really not sure he's any better of an option than Hartenstein, because if you look at his advanced stats, even though he does shoot the highest percentage on the Knicks out of anyone, he shoots limited attempts, only three per game, I think it is, last time I checked. And yeah, Mitchell Robinson is attempting a decent amount more than that and shooting 67%. So I don't know. Jericho Sims' stats are kind of hard to judge because he's only played, again, such a limited amount of basketball. So it'd be interesting to see how he steps up in this absence of Mitchell Robinson because he's going to have to. But as of right now, Jericho Sims has the worst plus-minus on all of the Knicks' uh, roster. When he's been on the court, it's been hard. And I, again, like I said, I like his athleticism, his offensive uh, threat as being a lob. But he's only six foot eight, six foot nine. He doesn't have a super long wingspan, and he, even though he can jump and he gets after loose balls, there's a lot of the bigger centers uh, that are guys that just overpower him because he's not that strong, and again, he's not that tall, and guys just out rebound him against Washington. Kristaps uh, Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma in the game that Robinson got hurt and only played a few minutes in. Um, Porzingis had 13, or Porzingis had 11 rebounds, and Kuzma had 13 rebounds uh, that game, while Mitchell Robinson had, I think, four, and Jericho Sims and Hartenstein combined for eight total rebounds. So after Mitchell Robinson got hurt, Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein, both the Knicks centers, got a combined eight rebounds for the rest of the game, uh, while Kuzma and Porzingis went on to have double-digit rebounding games. So it definitely is worrisome, especially against a team like Washington, when the Knicks have a lot better teams than Washington that they're going to be coming up against, especially better rebounders because Porzingis, again, not known for his rebounding. And yeah, the Knicks are going to have to find some sort of consistency at that center spot if they want to stay afloat. The reason I emphasize that so much and staying afloat is because um, the unfortunate reality is that the Knicks have faced so far the fourth easiest schedule in the entire NBA. And for the rest of the season, they have the second hardest schedule of teams. So second largest winning percentage of opponents left for the entire season of any NBA team. And uh, that's going to be hard to do without your best shot blocker and interior force. The Knicks have one player that averages over a block per game, and it's him. They have one player that averages over 50% or shoots over 50% from the field uh, on actual attempts that or a minimum amount of attempts Jericho Sims doesn't qualify so Mitchell Robinson is technically the only player on the team that shoots over 50% from the field so it's really it's going to be really hard for this Knicks team especially when they're not a great shooting team to keep their identity and keep up this play that they've been so good for since really December November uh, without their paint presence because Mitchell Robinson has been arguably their most important player outside of Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle even though I think at times you can argue Robinson is more important than Julius Randle. And by no means when I say that do I mean that Mitchell Robinson is a better player than Julius Randle. I'm simply saying that the things that Mitchell Robinson does for the Knicks is harder to replace for them with their roster that they have right now than it is for when Randle's not playing well. When Randle's not scoring the ball well, he, he always rebounds the ball well. So if Randle's not scoring well, then... Other people have been able to step up and score quickly. He's had some big games this season. RJ's been big in some games. Obviously, we know, uh, all of us know how good Brunson's been this season. He's been their leader. That's the thing, though, with the Knicks is they have that leader in Brunson, that go-to guy in the clutch. Um, 
their offense hasn't been terrific this season, although they do sit at the seventh seed right now, a few games above 500. They play against the Hawks the day this is being recorded on Friday. If this was posted Friday or Saturday, I'm not sure yet. But the rebounding offensively has been such a huge key in New York's inability to make shots at times. They're only 26th in the entire NBA in three-point percentage. But because Mitchell Robinson is the second best offensive rebounder in basketball, and Julius Randle also averages, what, almost 11 rebounds now a game for himself. I think it's 10.2 he averages. And it's really, it becomes a strength of a team. And then when you take away the player that is the leader of that category, it's hard because your entire demeanor and your entire dynamic of your offense changes because you can't afford to miss as many shots now because you know that you're not going to be able to get as many offensive rebounds because Mitchell Robinson is so elite at that one specific thing. He's been one of the most reliable threats underneath the basket in the entire league, obviously not volume-wise, but efficiency-wise. Obviously set the record for highest field goal percentage ever in a season uh, in his second year beating out Will Chamberlain, and uh, I think that's impressive regardless any Will Chamberlain stat someone is surpassing, especially in their second season. But Mitch has been around 70% from the field for almost his whole career now, and not having that surefire dunk and alley-oop threat is going to be definitely something that the Knicks are going to miss. He's the only 7-footer on the roster that actually plays like a 7-footer because Isaiah Hartenstein plays like he's about six foot eight. And I'm not going to hate on Hardenstein's effort because that's the one thing I appreciate about Isaiah Hardenstein is his effort. The dude is just not that good. I don't know if it's the fit uh, necessarily or he's just really not that good and he had one uh, solid season and he was a one-year wonder or whatever. I don't know. But the way he's been playing is not well enough for the Knicks to stick with him as the backup center. And honestly, at this point, uh, with their schedule being so hard coming up, I would be really shocked to see New York not make a move for a center in either a trade or a free agency signing. Obviously, the name that has come up a lot in the past has been Miles Turner with about every team. Uh, it's become an annual tradition, actually, for uh, NBA fans to predict where Miles Turner is going to go and then uh, have him not be traded. Uh, it seems like it happens every single year now for the past, what, three, four years. Um, but if the Knicks were to want to make a move, I don't know how they could make the salaries work unless they traded Mitchell Robinson while he was hurt, which I don't think that would be able to happen. Or a combination of draft picks, Evan Fournier and Derek Rose. Um, they do have salary fillers that they could potentially uh, use to make it work. Uh, Miles Turner's only making about $17, $18 million annually. It would definitely be interesting, but I don't see New York going for such a big move, uh, especially when they are expecting to get Mitchell Robinson back within hopefully at least uh, no more than a month. Uh, right now, the timetable is three weeks or he'll be reevaluated in three weeks. So either if the Knicks decide to try to get someone or they just roll with their roster, it's going to be interesting either way because there's guys like Sergio Baca out there. Obviously, now after today, uh, they're agreeing him and the Milwaukee Bucks have agreed to find him a trade destination. That could be a buy low trade. He's probably not going to have that much value at this point. He is 33 years old, and he hasn't been that good in uh, the past few uh, years that he's played. So I think that could be an interesting one. Probably could get that done for a second round pick. Maybe even just send them Cam Reddish, considering they're going to get rid of Cam Reddish anyways. 
just to get it out of the way there uh, here really quick, uh, to any fans that still think Cam Reddish has a chance with the Knicks or should be playing with the Knicks, it's done, it's over. They probably already agreed that he's not going to play till uh, he gets traded or something. I'm not, Obviously, I don't have inside reports, but I'd assume that's what it is at this point when he hasn't played in even games where Knicks have been missing key rotation players. So I'm assuming he probably just wants to stay healthy at this point and not play for a team that he knows he's not going to get consistent minutes for. I don't know, just a theory that I think could be likely. But regardless now, with the Knicks having this Mitchell Robinson injury, instead of just looking for second round draft compensation for Reddish, they could look for just a backup center to fill the role of Mitchell Robinson in the meantime. There's also guys like Mo Bamba, if the Knicks would actually potentially want him long-term as a backup center, give up a little more to get a Mo Bamba, I would potentially like that move. Uh, JaVale McGee is another name that they could potentially trade for on a small contract for the Mavericks, doesn't have a rotation, real or a spot in the rotation with the Mavericks, so he's a guy I don't see the Mavericks having any real issue with parting ways with. And then even a guy like Mason Plumlee, um, I don't know how much he fills the shot blocking aspect, but at least the rebounding, averaging almost a double-double this year, even though he is on a incredibly awful uh, Charlotte Hornets team. He does rebound the ball decently well and score within the paint, so he could make up some of what the Knicks are going to be missing out on with Mitch's injury. But if they don't trade for one of those guys uh, that I mentioned, there's other names out there too that possibly they could look at. Dwayne Dedman, even though I'm not a fan really of that. Other guys that I haven't named. But if the Knicks decide to stay with their roster until Mitchell Robinson comes back and not make any moves in regards to big men, I think they'll still make a move in regards to wings because they've uh, reports have been saying that the Knicks have been looking to add a wing score through the trade market. I'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, if the Knicks decide to roll with this same roster, then they're going to be playing a lot more small ball, especially with Jericho Sims being only six foot nine as the backup center, I assume, because Hartenstein has been ahead of the rotation or ahead of him in the rotation. So I assume he will be the one starting in Mitch's absence. The only thing good that I actually think could come of this injury obviously I don't want him to be injured and I hope he comes back quickly because the Knicks do need him in my opinion but the Knicks are going to see small ball looks that they're going to be forced to play and Tom Thibodeau has been reluctant to do so for a lot of his career as a coach and with the Knicks he's done a little so here earlier in the season he kind of stopped doing it he ran Julius Randle and Obi a little bit together before injury and it actually worked well it was one of their highest net rated lineups um in the entire beginning of the season before Obi had went down but the consistency was not there they did not consistently get minutes in the same lineup and I think the five best players on the Knicks when Mitchell Robinson is out is Quentin Grimes Jalen Brunson Emmanuel Quickly RJ Barrett and Julius Randle that leaves one player over six foot uh, seven in Randall. So seeing that lineup, I think we might get to have a look at that, which is just something Tom Thibodeau has not done at all yet. And I think that could be uh, very interesting to see against especially teams that don't have a traditional big man because the Knicks struggle with offense a lot and giving them a stretch big in Randall at the five could provide a lot of spacing for a team in other games when Robinson is playing do lack spacing. And even though offensive rebounding is a strength for them in that case, they might not need the offensive rebounding as much if they have more spacing and are able to get off better shots from the perimeter. As we've seen a lot of teams do in recent history, small ball has become a very prominent thing in today's game. So I think that steering away from that forever is something that is just ignorant. And I don't think the Knicks have to do it all the time, but trying these looks, especially in times where guys are injured, I think is very important to maximize the potential of this team and see all 
capabilities of what the players can do. And then same thing goes for Obi Toppin, and then even moving, keeping quickly on the bench, trying Obi to start out with Julius Randle and see how that unit works. Jalen Brunson, IQ, or Quentin Grimes, and then RJ, Obi, and Randle, and see how that kind of small ball works. Obi obviously isn't the greatest rebounder, but he does have the talent to get in the paint and score. He's obviously an incredible athlete, and I think Randle's rebounding would more than make up for it in that case of lacking a big. That brings me to another point, though, about Hartenstein. Is last year in LA, he was considered not a stretch big, maybe by any means, only attempted 0.7 three point attempts per game. But he did shoot at a 46.7% clip, which is more than respectable. So he was a guy that, in if needed to, could space the floor and hit the open three. This year, that's been the complete opposite, and he's taken 0.7 more threes per game. And he's shooting at just a 24.2% clip. So he's been one of, I'm not going to say one of the worst shooters in the league because he barely takes any, but when he's open or taking them at all, they're not falling. So that aspect of his game, whether it was a big one or not, is not there anymore. And that's limited his game all around. And his field goal percentage is down 14% from 62, down to 48.5 this year from last year with the Clippers. So there's clearly something going on with Isaiah Hartenstein, whether he's not being utilized in the right way or it's a mental thing. I don't know, because a lot of the reason why Knicks fans were excited for Hartenstein was his potential to be a stretch big. And people thought that maybe he would be taking more threes this year than last year. And it's barely been the case. Obviously, like I just said, 0.7 attempts compared to 0.4 attempts last year, barely going up. Uh, 0.3, I wouldn't call a vast improvement or a big jump in the stats. So, um It's been difficult for Isaiah Hartenstein to find his real role with this team. He hasn't been a defender. His rebounding is better than last year. So I guess that is something to credit him with, even though it doesn't seem like it because his defense and rebounding at times seem to go hand in hand and they're very porous. Even if he's missing and getting his offensive rebound, he'll miss two more times. And I've seen that happen on multiple different occasions in multiple different games. He's... Uh, struggled mightily at times to finish around the rim after offensive rebounds and even when he gets those offensive rebounds like I'm saying he's not finishing them so they've gone to waste a lot of the time the other thing too with Hardenstein is that he started the season off pretty well and in the game that he started without Mitchell Robinson or he started a few games without Mitchell Robinson early in the season Mitch missed eight games with a different injury and he started eight games in his absence and he was able to put up 14 rebounds in one of those games and looked really good. And during the first parts of the season, it wasn't looking like we were going to have a problem with the New York Knicks backup center. But at this point in the season, 20, 30 games down the road, it looks like they do. The lack of three-point shooting hasn't even been remotely the most surprising thing to me for Hartenstein this year. It's actually been the drop-off defensively because coming into this season, he was a really, really good defender last year. And if you look at the metrics... It proves it. He was 90th percentile in portability, 95th percentile in rim defense, and 97th percentile in block percentage. He was statistically, and for his minutes, one of the best rim protectors and most efficient uh, guys at protecting the paint in the entire league. So having him be a negative defender for the Knicks almost this year has been confusing to say the least. And It's looked almost at times like a young, inexperienced Jericho Sims has been able to keep up with these bigger guys or more athletic guys a lot better than Hartenstein has, even though he's a 7-footer with a really big frame. 
Again, though, trying to look at the situation in a positive light, this Knicks team could be very different looking offensively without any play of bigs in certain rotations in the lineup uh, when they have them out on the court playing small ball with either Randall or Toppin at the five. I think using Obi in these minutes where he's going to have a chance to prove himself again and get more comfortable because there's going to be more minutes available with a 30 plus minute per game starter being out of the rotation. So Obi's going to have a chance here to really prove that he still belongs or at least get his trade value up for the Knicks to trade him and get something out of him at the deadline. Something the Knicks have done all year has been the Mitchell Robinson pick and rolls with ball handlers, but the problem with that, even though Mitch sets great screens and he's big, it's resulted in the defense of other teams often hedging screens and blitzing the ball handler, which has caused the Knicks to have trouble down the stretch and has been a main catalyst in a lot of their blown leads late because they can't handle ball pressure or full court pressure especially as all the double teams come as the Knicks don't have the most talented group of ball handlers. Ball handling isn't the Knicks' strong suit. And with having Mitch as the screener on those plays, it doesn't allow them to have an option in front of them off the roller for someone to create because Mitchell Robinson is not going to create a shot. Whereas if they run it with someone like Obi or another guard, it can create opportunities out of the pick and roll so they can't get trapped as much by the blitzing or the hedges because their team has another ball handler who was the screener who can get them out of trouble kind of as a safety valve and then possibly create even more so out of that so different pick and roll opportunities not using the same screeners all the time try some with some guards or wings I think would be really interesting and we might get to see some of that with Mitchell Robinson being out of the lineup but as everyone knows this season the Knicks problem hasn't just been with Mitchell Robinson being out in the eight games that he's missed or the games he's going to miss. The problem has also been free throws and closing games, and if the Knicks can't continue or learn how to do that, then it won't matter if Mitchell Robinson is there or not, because the Knicks have been statistically one of the worst fourth quarter teams in basketball and one of the best first quarter teams. So this team has really struggled to finish games, and they're going to have to learn some consistency with or without Mitchell Robinson, because as good as Jalen Brunson has been, it's not going to be possible for one player to carry an entire offense uh, down the stretch of games for the course of an 82-game season, and he's already been doing it for 40 games now. Randall has to step up in the big moments, although he's been very good this season for the most part. Uh, his scoring has gone down in big moments, and like we've seen in the past, Julius Randall's got to quiet some haters because as many fans as he's won over this season— there's still those critics that talk about how he hasn't shown up in the biggest part of games, and to some extent, they're right. The Knicks were 22-21 and 21 last year when they entered their considered hard part of the schedule, and over the next 20 games after that, they went 3-17 and 17 and ended up falling out of the play-in, as we all know, and missing the playoffs. So, this is really going to be another test for the Knicks, similar to last season. But the difference is the Knicks do have Jalen Brunson this time, even if they may not have Mitchell Robinson. And even with saying that, Robinson is only out three to six weeks probably at most. So hopefully Robinson will be back and not out for the playoffs like it was last time they had a playoff run against the Hawks because that was proved to be very costly as Clint Capella feasted on the boards and they missed Mitch tremendously. And that Atlanta series is kind of what keeps bringing me back to this and worrying about the Knicks without Mitchell Robinson because... It's been the proof is in the pudding. It's happened in the past. Mitchell Robinson being out has led to this Knicks team collapsing before, and it was in the most crucial part of the season, the playoffs. So for Mitchell Robinson to stay healthy or the Knicks to figure out how to win without him, one of the two is going to be extremely key and probably the key if this team wants to ever make it past the first round. 
taking a look back at the other backup center for the New York Knicks is Jericho Sims, who I briefly mentioned. And for him, this is going to end up probably being the most amount of minutes that he's going to have received so far in his NBA career for this long of a stretch. It's going to be a few weeks where he's going to be a legitimate rotation player. I assume so because of the lack of centers on the roster outside of him and Hartenstein. But he is probably a more capable shot blocker than Hartenstein despite being smaller and his athleticism is out of this world, and I'm I'm curious to see him develop because he's never really gotten those minutes and consistent time to try and uh, gain any ke- chemistry with the team like Mitchell Robinson does, especially on those alley-oops, which can be so crucial to getting a guy of that athleticism some good looks, especially when they lack post-game, as well as an actual jump shot. So... That's basically all I have really to talk about here for today's episode. I just wanted to get something back going for you guys, talk about a team that I know a lot about, and give a little take here to kick things back off, and I hope to do a lot more of these. I didn't want to do something too long for the first episode back, but I hope you guys did enjoy it, and make sure to stay tuned to Booming Basketball on Instagram and Spotify for new episodes and posts this upcoming week and every day, hopefully soon. Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of the Booming Basketball Podcast. I'm Nate, and I will see you guys in the next one. Peace out.